2: Welcome to Fruit Loops episode 124. Bienvenidos bitches. <laughs> and thank you for being here and for listening. Uh, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cis white dudes. What? I'm telling you, they're not. It's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I went all the way to the bottom <laughs> of my script. Uh, uh, they're not straight white dudes! <laughs> what?! That's <laughs> yes, right. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist!
1: Allegedly. <laughs> And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Also, our website
2: is FruitLoopsPod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. Uh, the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website.
1: Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show. So, uh, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today, we're talking about Martin Gonzalez Escamilla, a serial killer located in Austin, Texas. Hello. He killed women he was close to, his wife and girlfriends. All right. But before we get into it, how are you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, Com- CrimeCon has been so much fun, and uh, we've met so many really awesome people, and uh it's just been incredible.: Yeah,
2: uh, hard agree. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Um, it's been unreal, unbelievable. We were talking about uh, in the hotel room yesterday. like, if we weren't here with each other, nobody would believe or care <laughs> about all the things that happened to us this week. So it's just been amazing. we're again, really excited that you are here with us, too. So um, normally on our show, we thank our listeners and our patrons for supporting our show, and I craft a um, customized. Tune for uh, for our listeners, and since you guys are here today, um, I wrote a little jingle for you. Are you ready? <laughs> okay, <clears throat> my daddy Alabama, Mama Louisiana, you mix that crime con with that Austin get a Texas Bama. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, our hip hop air horn's not working. Can I uh, can I uh, try to jiggle it or plug it in? sound guys <laughs> I don't want to break anything mm-hmm. all right I'll give it a try
1: oh no this is a very important part of the
2: show <laughs> <laughs> there, all right that's we it canceled wrong sound that's the of- angels hello angels yeah. okay here we go now ready. Okay. It's time to get us some stats. Uh, Here we go. Martin Gonzalez Escamilla was born in 1953 in Costanos, Coahuila, Mexico. Uh, He committed parasite, which normally we think of that's, you know, when you kill a parent. However, uh, it also applies to killing of spouses.
1: Did not know that.
2: No. Look at us learning stuff. Uh, So the crimes were committed in 1995 and 1998. He had three victims in the U.S. that we know of, and um, we like to say rest in power queens. Uh, his wife, Sylvia Victoria Garcia Gonzalez, she was 44. Olivia Estrada was 54. Maria Gladys Flores was 53. Uh, plus, he was convicted of murder in Mexico, and he is suspected of the murder of a co-worker named Erika Pérez. Uh, He was manipulative, machista, which is a um, Spanish word for chauvinist asshole. Uh, And he was a big, fat liar and uh, used a hammer and a gun to kill people. Uh, The crimes, again, took place in Austin, Texas. And no need to worry, he's in um, prison currently. He was arrested in November of
1: 1998, so he's not going to show up here.
2: (laughs) So um, now we are going to dive into the setting. Take us there, Beth.
1: Well, the setting is Austin, Texas. Before Texas was a state, it was part of New Spain, a colony in the Spanish Empire. But before that, for thousands of years, nomadic tribes of Native Americans such as the Tonkawas, Comanches, and Lipan Apaches camped, fished, and hunted along the creeks nearby present day Austin. Beginning in the late 1600s, Spain started building missions in Texas to
2: establish control over and populate the area. Uh, Way to go, colonizers. Uh, Spain used what is called the Mission Presidio system in Texas, which was used to gain control in the quote unquote New World. But how could it be new
1: if people were already living there? (laughs) (laughs) And here's how it worked a mission was set up in Native American territory as a settlement. Then members of the clergy invited the Native Americans to live at the missions. Hey, guys, come
2: on over. Yeah, Yeah. it couldn't have been that kind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They then used the missions to teach the natives Christianity, the language and customs of Spain, Spanish farming methods, and, of course, convert them to Catholicism. This all may sound very benign, but it's not. It was basically the beginning of the murder of Native culture.
2: The secular counterpart to the missions was the presidios, uh, or military settlements. The earliest were small garrisons of Spanish soldiers who protected travel along roadways, but as towns began to grow around the presidios and the missions, the presidios' role evolved into protecting the developing Spanish missions and settlements.
1: In the early 19th century, Napoleon's occupation of Spain sparked revolts all across Spanish America. In 1810, Miguel Hidalgo y Castilla, a Catholic priest, launched the Mexican War of Independence with the issuing of his Grito de Dolores, or Cry of Dolores. The revolutionary tract, which was publicly, publicly read by Hidalgo in the town of Dolores, called for the end of 300 years of Spanish rule in Mexico, Redistri- redistribution, distribu- sorry. <laughs> redistribution of land and racial equality. To me, that sounds fucking dope. <laughs>
0: uh-
2: But wait! In 1821, Mexico finally gained independence from Spain, and because it was sparsely populated, Texas was combined with Coahuila to create the state of Coahuila y Texas. The Mexican government adopted policies to gradually outlaw enslavement in the newly established country, but... The
1: Anglo settlers actively worked to ensure slavery was preserved in Texas. The Mexican government began to allow settlers from the U.S. to claim land in Texas. This led to a population explosion, but dramatically reduced the percentage of the population with Mexican heritage, causing lots of friction.
2: Very understandable. (laughs) Leave me alone. (laughs) After several smaller insurrections, the Texas Revolution broke out. And in 1836, the state became an independent nation called the Texas Republic. Sounds nice. Uh, However, the newly formed nation was unable to defend itself and eventually negotiated with the U.S. to join the Union on December 29th, 1845. Oh, hey, welcome to Culture Corner with... But Wendy and Beth. Uh, has anyone ever heard uh, Mexican Americans say the border crossed us? or somos los que nos cruzaron, something like that. Well, the reason they say that is because it is historically true. Uh, People of Mexican descent in Texas trace their biological origins to the racial mixture that occurred following the Spanish conquest of Mexico in uh, 1520s. During the Spanish colonial period, population increases occurred as Spanish males mixed with indigenous females, bountiful wow wow and uh, begetting a mestizo race, a process also known as Mestizaje occurred in which, again, Spanish Spaniards and Native Americans had mestizo children who had both Spanish and Indigenous blood, and it comes from the Spanish word "mezclar," which means to mix. Um, and so now we are going to dive into Gonzalez's early life. Splish splash! Take us there.
1: <laughs> Martín González Escamilla was born in 1953 in Castanos Coahuila, Mexico, which has been described as a desert town. He came from a large family with lots of siblings. They lived in what has been described as harsh poverty, and they lived in a mud-walled, dirt-floored hut.
2: So, by the way, uh, throughout this episode, uh, we'll be referring to our subject by the name Gonzalez instead of Escamilla. Uh, he has a long name. And uh, Gonzalez is how he is referred to in all of the sources that we used. Um, but uh, this is because in Latin culture, traditionally, a person's first surname is the father's first surname, apellido paterno, uh, while the second surname is the mother's. Um, and most articles use the paternal surname because both the United States and Mexican cultures are patriarchal in nature.
1: It's been reported in the 1970s that Martin was in a motorcycle accident, and afterwards he began suffering from seizures. His family responded by tying him up in the yard and waiting for the fit to pass. Oh, my which is probably not the best way to deal with seizures. No. I don't know. But uh, they may not have known any other way. It sounds like they were pretty poor and maybe didn't have access to medical care.
2: Sure. Still, um... Tying them up, tying them up. I can think of a million better ways. (laughs) How about a a hug? Um, So in 1987, when he was 34, Gonzalez was convicted of murdering a man during a robbery near Costanos in Mexico. He was imprisoned in Monclova, Cahuilla, but he soon escaped and escaped. And (laughs) he was then recaptured in 1990.
1: At some point, he married a woman whose name we unfortunately don't know. They never divorced, but in May of 1994, while he was still in prison, Gonzalez married a recently divorced woman named Sylvia Victoria Garcia. It's been reported that he married her so that she would pay the fine for his early release. Nice guy. Does he have a <laughs> brother?
2: <laughs> uh, so after being released from prison, he married yet another woman named Diana Patricia de Leon Castillo. And we don't know what happened to her. Uh, Gonzalez then headed to the U.S. and Austin, Texas in 1995, where he worked a number of manual labor jobs. Um, one source said that he was here illegally. And um, this is just a pet peeve of mine. Welcome to Culture Corner again. Um you hear on the news uh, the illegals are here. The illegals, human beings, are not illegal. They're 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 people, They have illegal status. Most of them are seeking asylum. However, human beings cannot be illegal. So let's just
1: do better with our language. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Gonzalez has been described as outwardly charming, a man who could easily attract women, but who then became possessive, jealous, and abusive, and controlling. There were reports of multiple assaults on many different women.
2: Now we're going to move on into the timeline. Uh, <laughs> uh, so in March of 1995, Sylvia Victoria Garcia Gonzalez left her hometown of Monclova, Coahuila, Mexico, to join her husband in Austin, Texas. Back in Monclova, Sylvia had three daughters from her previous marriage, and she was in the habit of calling them daily. While speaking to her every day, the daughter felt that her mom seemed nervous and unhappy.
1: The last time Sylvia called her daughter was on June 8th of 1995. She was last seen in the company of her husband on June 24th. The very next day, on June 25th, Gonzalez moved, taking all of the furnishings that Sylvia had brought to their home with him. What the fuck?
2: Excuse me, I paid for this place too. Where's everything going? Uh, so, on September, September 23rd, 1995, children playing in a vacant lot near the Gonzalez house in East Austin found human skeletal remains. The body was not immediately identified, but the cause of death was determined to be blunt force trauma to the
1: skull, which had multiple fractures. In 1997, Gonzalez went back to Monclova in Mexico for a visit. While there, he shot and killed a man. What a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) He then returned to Austin.
2: How was it, Gonzalez? Oh, it was great. They had everything spas, delicious food, murders, all the things. Uh, so, Gonzalez then struck up a relationship with Maria Gladys Flores, who was 53 years old, a native of Panama who had moved to Austin in 1994 with two of her children, one of which was her daughter, uh, Victoria Quiroz. Family members described Maria as a kind and caring woman. Maria and Gonzalez met in 1998 and shortly thereafter began living together.
1: In May of 1998, a woman named Erica Perez went missing. She was in her 30s and worked with Gonzalez on a number of temporary jobs. Her coworkers last saw her on May seventh, 1998, but she was not listed as missing until December of 1998. So what's that? Uh, seven months. Seven
2: months. Yeah, it's yeah, quite a long time long to time. be missing and not have anybody report you. And I, we had different theories, Beth and I. But I considered perhaps maybe her uh, status, um, her legal status in the country, might have been um, shaky. And uh, it might have been for those close to her um, dangerous to approach
1: law enforcement to report her missing. And she also may not have had familial ties in the US.
2: Correcto. Ding ding. Good job. <laughs> uh, that's why she's my favorite white lady. So, Gonzalez, then, uh, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Gonzalez told Maria that uh, he was a landowner. Wow. And he promised to marry her. Uh, but things soon went bad. According to Maria's daughter, Victoria, uh, Gonzalez was a jealous man and was physically abusive to her mother. Maria worked two jobs, and Gonzalez forced her to give all of the money she
1: earned to him. What? On May 20th, 1998, Maria, accompanied by Gonzalez, left for work and never returned. Her daughter, Victoria, said that Gonzalez appeared nervous when she asked him if he knew the whereabouts of her mother. I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why. Weird. I also
2: wonder where we are.
1: <laughs> Gonzalez reported Maria's disappearance to the police. Oh. The case was closed in June of 1998. So one month later, they closed the case.
2: Yeah, with no body,
1: Nothing. Right. Nothing. Yeah. No evidence. And so, from what I read, I believe that Gonzalez told the police that she went back to Mexico, but uh, they didn't know. They must have done no investigation, right? Because she didn't go to Mexico. And look. Uh,
2: There might be law enforcement here. I'm sorry, uh, but this, uh, we sometimes call police uh, messy hoes because they (laughs) don't do their work. (laughs) And uh, this, this would be an example of what we would refer to as messy hoedness, Forgive me, sorry, not sorry. Anyway, Olivia Perez Estrada was 54 years old. She met Gonzalez at a dance hall in 1998, and they began a relationship. Olivia had recently divorced after a long marriage. Uh, she lost her job, so she was pretty down and out uh, and having a rough time. And her daughter, Linda Sandoval, has described her as someone with a heart as big as Texas. You remember that Michael Jack- when Michael Jackson was in the Jackson 5, and he was like, I may be a little fella, but my heart is as big as
1: Texas.
2: Aww, Am I the only good. one? <laughs> Who knows that? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so that was her mother.
1: <laughs> Gonzales charmed Olivia, who was vulnerable after her divorce and her job loss, and he repeated the same lies about being a landowner. But it didn't take long for Gonzalez's violent temper to appear. Olivia, Olivia actually confide, confided to her doctor that Gonzalez had threatened to choke her if she tried to leave him and she was afraid to call the police because of the possibility that it might provoke Gonzalez um
2: yeah uh so I, I was just gonna say, I, I think um sometimes people are like, why not just call the police? There's, they you know, they're he- we we know they're here for BIPOC, black, indigenous people of color all the time, right? So um they're they're not. So uh, you know, it's 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 often safer to go to um uh, someone like a physician um, or a clergy member or something like that for uh, assistance if you're in a DV domestic violence situation. Um, Olivia Estrada's family grew increasingly concerned for her safety and in October 1998 they urged her to get a restraining order against Gonzalez. They also devised a plan by which members of the family would be with Olivia when she broke up with Gonzalez. So now we're gonna get into the investigation and arrest.
1: Hit it Beth! Olivia's daughter became concerned when her mom did not answer her telephone for two days. And on October 29, 1998, Olivia's relatives received a 2 a.m. phone call from an unidentified woman telling them to check on her. The caller also said Olivia was last seen with a man named Martin. When her relatives went to Olivia's
2: house to check on her, they found her purse and medications, but no Olivia. The hall carpet was soaked in water uh, and blood spatters were found on a bedroom door frame, in the hallway and on the kitchen door. Olivia's daughter called the police.
1: Yeah, my understanding is the um, carpet was soaked in water, they thought, because somebody tried to clean up the crime scene.
2: I'm sorry. I just love the words blood splatter. It almost makes my mouth
1: water, which is very wrong. I'm sorry. Weird. I, <laughs> thanks for letting me read that part. <laughs> During their investigation, in addition to the blood in the house, police found blood and a ring belonging to Olivia in the carport next to her car and blood inside the car. Uh, inside Olivia's home, they also found a photograph of her with a man, and on the back of the photo was written the name Martine.
2: Ooh. Here we go. Police were eventually able to identify that man in the photograph as Martin Gonzalez, and he was questioned. Gonzalez told the police that he knew nothing. He pulled a Mariah Carey, I don't know her, uh, about (laughs) Olivia's disappearance. But when searched, police found a key to Olivia's house in his pocket. He then admitted that he was last at Olivia's house on October 27th, but he left her
1: after another man arrived and began fighting with him. He identified the man he supposedly got into the fight with for police. But police determined that the man had been in prison on October 27th. And oh. I, I would say that's an airtight outcome. No, uh oh, it's falling yeah. apart. <laughs> So he could not possibly have been at Olivia's house on that day. And on November 2nd, 1998, police arrested Gonzalez for the kidnapping of Olivia Estrada. Soon
2: afterwards, investigators discovered that Gonzalez had reported Maria Flores missing the previous May. This guy's got a lot of missing women in his wake. Uh, Somebody arrest that man. Anyway, they (laughs) learned that Sylvia Gonzalez was missing when a national clearinghouse, (laughs) when I saw this, I was like, publisher's clearinghouse was involved in this story. Where's the money and the balloons? But that's not what this means. (laughs) Apparently, a clearinghouse is an agency or an organization which collects and distributes something. So this National Clearinghouse for Missing Persons reminded them that the bones had been found near Gonzalez's house in 1995.
1: And on January 28, 1999, police identified the skeletal remains as those of Sylvia Victoria Garcia Gonzalez. Authorities identified the remains by comparing the DNA from the body with dried saliva found on the flaps of letters Sylvia had sent to her family in Mexico. Police notified her three daughters and her brother and sisters in Monclova. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour a day? Hmm. Spend more time with your kids, go to the Hmm. gym, Hmm. work on a hobby? take a nap?
2: (laughs) Can you do all those things in 60 minutes? Just kidding. (laughs) You know, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But what we do with that time, we don't always know. But the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what it is. And therapy can help you figure that out. Find what matters to you most and make it a priority so that you can find the time to do more of it.
1: Yeah. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for everyone. Mm -hmm. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. And I've been in and out of therapy most of my life. Same. And it has had such a positive influence on my life that I honestly do not know who I would be without therapy. And I don't want (laughs) to (laughs) know.
2: I don't want to know either. (laughs) Listen, Bev and I have both used BetterHelp. Yeah. And we love it. And if you are thinking of starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online
1: and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge.
2: Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com fruit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P
1: dot
0: slash fruit That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, were by law. 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal.
2: I'm sorry, whenever... Whenever DNA's involved... In... Ooh. Whoa. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> DNA! DNA did it! <laughs> whenever dna's involved i get excited and i have to give it a hip-hop air horn so i'm sorry sorry about your equipment you want us to leave okay uh, um just kidding um so on um, where are we going gonna... really threw me off dna dna that's right dna On October. On October. Okay. (laughs) DNA. Yes. DNA. I get so excited, I lose all train of thought. Uh, On October 18th, 1999, Olivia Estrada's skeletal remains were found in a field in Bastrop County, just outside Austin. The skull showed evidence of blunt force trauma to the forehead and just above the right eye. She had also been shot in the back of the head. Shot, too? Shot also? So unnecessary. Yeah. So unnecessary. So extra.
1: Maria Flores' skeletal remains were found in a field in southeast Austin on November 22, 1999. The medical examiner found evidence of at least 15 blunt force injuries to the head and face caused by an object, possibly a hammer. The bones of Erica Perez were also found later that year. Ooh.
2: So Maria and Olivia, who were appropriate, uh, approximately the same age, each met Gonzalez in 1998 and had formed relationships with him which were uh, virtually identical. Uh, Gonzalez was threatening and abusive to each one, and each was murdered within a space of only five months of being with him. Five
1: months. Yeah. Yeah. All of the victims suffered multiple blows to the head with a blunt object, and all of the victims' bodies had been left in vacant lots or fields
2: oddly gonzalez denied oh he pulled another mariah carey he denied knowing either his wife sylvia or maria flores and during an interview with a newspaper gonzalez denied committing any murders and stated i eat well i sleep well my conscience is clean get out of here (laughs) (laughs) so uh now we're gonna get into the trial what do you got beth
1: Gonzalez was indicted for the murders of Celia Garcia, Maria Flores, and Olivia Estrada. He was never charged with the murder of Erica Perez. The trial took place in Travis County, and prosecutors argued to the jury that he lured the women with charm, but then grew possessive and violent when they tried to leave him, and that's usually the um, most dangerous part for a woman in a domestic violence situation is when she tries to leave. Right. All of the women were found in fields, their skulls crushed. Gonzalez showed little emotion during the trial.
2: Yeah, and people might say, why didn't these women just leave? But it's very difficult to do. usually it takes seven or eight times when somebody's trying to leave a domestic violence situation. Uh, and again, they're women of color and uh, not necessarily the highest uh, in terms of value in society. Or Um, or,
1: um, ability to uh, use resources. Yes,
2: exactly. Uh, So uh, on September 8th, 2000, Gonzalez was found guilty. Gotcha, bitch. Prosecutors (laughs) sought the death penalty, but after deliberating almost six hours in the penalty phase, the jury found mitigating circumstances and was sentenced to life in prison. Uh, When announced, one of Olivia's sisters yelled, Diablo! And other family members shouted
1: curses. Others just wailed and cried. Olivia's sister Rachel said, quote, I guess we can say we had a victory. This man is going to be put away so that he can't hurt anybody else. But part of us is missing. There is always going to be one person missing because of what this man did, unquote.
2: Yeah, usually people get the death penalty in Texas. Am I wrong? No? Okay. I guess I'm wrong. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Don't fact check me. Uh, So now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, I'll tell you. Escamilla is serving a life sentence in the H.H. Cofield Unit, a Texas Department of Criminal Justice prison for men in unincorporated Anderson County, Texas. Uh, So that's it for the story. We're going to get into what we think made him snap and our takeaways.
1: So it sounds like Gonzalez's early life was, was pretty rough. But as we always say, that's an explanation and not an excuse. Right. Plenty of folks have rough early lives but don't go on to kill people. Mm. However, uh, the jury did find mitigating circumstances, which are reasons why a defendant should not receive the death penalty. That usually means something happened to the person in their life that was so horrible that the jury's like, well... Okay, I guess that's pretty shitty. I guess we'll let you live. Yeah. But uh, we don't know what that was, what the mitigating circumstances were. Uh, He did have a brain injury, which we know can affect behavior. And he had seizures that his family did not know how to handle. So it it could have been related to that. Yeah,
2: I uh, agree with you wholeheartedly, Beth. Uh, Yeah, the the traumatic brain injury couldn't help. We know um, serial killers' brains are a little bit different than the average bear's, um, and that could have contributed to his impulsivity. Uh, It sounds like he was a narcissist, master manipulator, womanizer, and machista. Uh, He preyed on vulnerable women. Um, uh, They had lost their jobs, um, recently gone out of other relationships, um, and uh, was a predator. and uh, their financial status, as I said, could have been um, shaky. Even their immigration status, but that's totally spe- speculation. The forensic evidence that went into connecting these dots um, made me wait. I'm sorry for lack of a better <laughs> word. I love the forensic evidence part. Uh, so I they, can't <laughs> shut her up about this. She <laughs> so was so excited. <laughs> they combined all these different sciences: dentistry, forensic art. They had a forensic artist. Um, come up with using the remains of Sil- of Sylvia. Uh, they found her skeleton and uh, this forensic artist recreated her face um, and then the, the authorities put the face out and then somebody called up and said, bring! That's my mom! So then uh, the authorities were like, hey, do you have any of your mom's DNA lying around? They said, yeah, we got some old letters and they swabbed the DNA from the letters and um, confirmed it was, it was her and then The body of Sylvia, her skull remains, were wrapped in a blanket. And somebody said, wait a minute. There's a hair there. And they tested the hair and confirmed it was Gonzalez's hair, putting him at the scene of the crime. Bada bing, bada, boom, DNA comes through again. <laughs> I'm not gonna push the button, but you get it. <laughs> uh so shout out to Olivia's daughter for uh having the strength to face Martin in trial. We saw uh, footage of that and um She's been an advocate for her mother and um, has, you know, gone on to tell her story, which is pretty powerful. Um, My heart, I think Beth would agree, goes out to the family members who survived um, the communities affected by this loss and this case. I don't think anybody wants to find out There's a serial killer in my town. Um, And also, Martin was a piece of basura covered in caca, and he's exactly where he needs to be. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. So... (laughs) Uh, We just came up with these over the weekend. Um, It's nothing spectacular. Just a couple reminders if you don't want to get murdered. Um, Keep your phone charged uh, when you're out in a new place like Austin and you don't know where you're going. Uh, Leave with a full battery in case um, something bad happens uh, and you um, are stranded, need to get a hold of somebody. Um, When you're in the hotel, check the locks and windows. Every single time you enter and exit the room, we have not done and that we're still here with you but these are just <laughs> tips um, there are there's some portable door locks that you can purchase on Amazon they're like five to fifteen dollars and uh, you like stick it in the in the door jam and um, it prevents the the lock the the door from turning and opening so it's just an extra level of security um, you could also purchase a rubber or, and travel with a rubber door stopper to put underneath your door so nobody can you know um, somehow, open the door yeah open the door and and <laughs> Murder you, um, yes. so uh, go wild and get both things. Um, and then uh, when you check in, this is this I I this tip. Grab a couple of those business cards that they have at the front desk and keep it like in your wallet or in your pocket when you leave the hotel because it is possible to forget where you're staying. Uh, <laughs> just me. <laughs> I was I went to a, I went to a Waikiki a long time ago and every fucking hotel in the whole city is Waikiki. Something I was lost for hours. <laughs> anyway, I wish I'd had this tip. Uh, <laughs> so uh, now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we normally shout out any content by any other BIPOC, marginalized or underrepresented groups or any true crime goodies. Let us just say, this is not a true crime goodie, uh, but it is a true crime feast for y'all. Y'all, y'all already know the vibes. You're here, um, but we have to shout out all of the podcasters and exhibitors and speakers here at CrimeCon in Austin, and also virtually. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> and uh, shout out to everyone who came out to uh, watch our live taping, and f- again for y'all um, virtually who are tuning in. We 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 are, we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah,
1: and check out the CrimeCon webpage. For all of the podcasters and speakers who are here with us at CrimeCon, we, and we've met some really incredible people. We've yes. had such a great time. Yes, indeed.
2: Yeah. Um, so now Q&A, if we still have some time, are we getting the red light? <laughs> does it look like it? <laughs> so does anybody have any questions
1: for us um, about our show, this case? Um... There's a microphone over here. The light, are you going to put the light up? Yeah, there you go. Uh, there's a microphone over here if you want to ask a question.
3: Hi. Hi there. Um, What made you decide to start a podcast? And along
0: with that, were you aware of a lot of um, people of color,
1: serial killers that hadn't, whose stories hadn't been told? Or was this something that you learned more and more about of how many hadn't been told or weren't as popular out there once you started doing the podcast? Good question. Yeah,
2: very good. I didn't know. Beth did. And we both loved podcasts and we both loved true crime. And, like, one time we were getting coffee or something in the break room at work. Um, Yeah,
1: we worked together. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I was telling her about a new show and I I was like, there's no black serial killers, right? That's white shit. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she was like, actually, there are. And I was like, get out of here. My head was, my wig and edges were gone. Uh, she blew me away with that information. Um, and so the next question was, well, why aren't there any podcasts about them? Um, and we couldn't find any, and we just said, fuck it, we'll just start one ourselves. Um, and it turns out there's just as many. Um, the thing is... If uh, not more. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, and we cover international, too. Uh, and globally, there's more BIPOC people than and there are not. Um, So the thing is... they just don't get the coverage. The victims don't the get the coverage. The media attention. Right. The, the media, I'm just keeping it real with you all, they love a blonde white victim so yeah. much. Um, and those are the ones that get the coverage. So um, when they're Preferably not Preferably female. Yes, female yeah. too. Uh, so when they're not, they don't get the coverage, which means the, um, the, the, the killer doesn't get the coverage, neither do the victims. And then also, um, there's no nuance or context added to the stories when they are told. So that's what we're here to do. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Another, Another question.
0: hello.: Hi, Hi, I'm Travis from Washington, D.C. Um, Hi. I, hello, I had a question. Um, so for those of you who are not at CrimeCon, when Crime Card, uh, when CrimeCon uh, started off this weekend, started with an intro video where two cases highlighted really surprised me. They were the uh, I'm in pleasantly surprised. the uh The uh, Chauvin verdict, and Brian. then um, Brianna Taylor. Yeah. And so, you know, I, to be perfectly honest, like I didn't do a lot of research about CrimeCon. It's my first CrimeCon. I didn't expect a lot of wokeness.
2: Hello. So. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Say it one more time for everybody in the back. <laughs> we didn't either. Anyway. My question.
0: Uh, what have you noticed in the true crime community and CrimeCon? How has this world shifted over the past year, the uprising against police murder?
1: I'll take it if you want, but you go. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, this is our first crime con, too. So um, we have no uh, basis um, for uh, previous experience.
2: That's true. Um, But we will say that we are familiar with the true crime space as fans of the genre and then also as... Uh, creators within the genre and uh keeping it really good you could kick me off if you want but uh it's a very white cis male space um and uh after the um murder of George Floyd and the uprisings by the way don't call them riots um because they're not (laughs) but uh the, after the uprisings, we got a lot of people reaching out to us asking, "How can we make the space better?" Um, and we were happy to be available to do it. But I will also say that um, we're not anybody's token. But we do feel like we have a—I uh, feel like we have a mission, right? Like we're treating people about kind of true crime, but in a really sneaky way about how to be better human beings and,
1: <laughs> and, and history yeah, and, and history. all that stuff. Yeah. And
2: um, but there's there's some people by um, people are um, oppressed people who just don't have the bandwidth they're just tired and I gotta say I am too but I am willing to teach um, but everybody else has to be willing to learn um, so uh, there's a lot of people who wanted to learn after the uprising so you got to find people who are willing to teach you or just google it <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah that was an excellent question thank you um, anybody else oh hello hello <laughs>
1: Oh the yeah, the tower. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome There's a there's another one too, um, the Austin Axe murderer. That uh we covered that earlier this year and we, we replayed that episode this week, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what do you say to people who tend to need convincing that stories of BIPOC murders and victims matter uh, equally as the white cis counterpart? That is a good question. What do we say? Um, <laughs> I don't know if
1: we've ever been asked that question. We
2: haven't been, but on a visceral level, the all lives matter um, argument, I don't know if we can conv- convince those people. Um, the the unfortunate thing about the situation that, that we're in presently is that... Um, if you didn't see it uh, when George Floyd was murdered, uh, you didn't see it then or you didn't understand, wait a minute, or even January 6th, white supremacy is a thing, <laughs> uh, then we might not be able to convince those people. Um, but uh, so if somebody asked why those people matter, if somebody asked us who was willing to, um, I guess, learn and, and find out uh, is... Uh, we're all human beings. Um, and
1: All of our stories matter. All
2: of our stories do matter. Um, I do th- believe, though, that people try to stray away from the Black Lives Matter slogan. But I strongly believe that when Black Lives Matter um, is... Uh, comes to fruition that everyone's lives will truly matter in this country. Um, again, you could kick me out if you want. Uh, but uh, <laughs> um, I just think people need to be willing. And if they're willing, then they need to try to see the humanity because uh, we, uh, these are people, they're human beings. Anyone else? Wow, Lessa, I'm so grateful for these questions. If the hip hop air horn button wasn't broken, I would hit it so hard.
3: Oh, so how does your research, when you guys are researching these different cases, how does that kind of process look? Because I imagine for some of these cases,
1: it's hard to get details. And it seems like you guys did a lot of, a lot of research and digging. What do you do when you come across some that don't have enough information? Thank, yeah, yeah. yeah. First, thank you for noticing. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go ahead? Okay. <laughs> so I first I Google and get as much information as I can that way. And we use newspapers.com, so sometimes we have to go back to, you know, 1941 newspapers and get information from there, because you're just not, not going to find it on Google. We also look for videos like forensic files that um, we got some that forensic information from forensic files. Um, I just keep Googling and Googling and Googling, and, and I'll Google the... Uh, Victims' names because I want to find out as much information about them as possible, and uh, just keep digging.
2: Keep digging, yeah. And we also do we research the case, but we also research the context. Yeah. So the, um, history, the history
1: and all history, that. Yeah, yeah. surrounding
2: because there's a reason why um, uh, the people end end up in these places and situations that they do, um, and a lot of them are out of their control. So, any other questions? All right. Well, uh, oh, my gosh, we are honored. Thank you so much for your time and for yeah, listening thank you. to us today.
1: Thank you so much. <laughs> they
2: didn't hate it. Look, Mom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, y'all have a good day. Uh, this is a weekly podcast, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.